For more information about our teaching and preaching ministry, you can find us online at cornerstoneorlando.org. The following sermon has been brought to you by Cornerstone Orlando, making disciples for the glory of God. Well, this is a very well-known story. It ends in a certain way with someone limping. Have you ever seen somebody limping along and thought, I wonder how they got that limp? Especially if they were young. How did that happen? Were they born with that? Or did something happen? In this story, something very significant happened to Jacob. He learned to limp with faith. Not all limps are physical. Some people limp along in life emotionally after difficult circumstances. And sometimes you can see someone limping, but not physically, but as they go through their life. Sometimes things happen in our lives that cause us to limp. Maybe it's our marriage, finances, health, maybe just our age. Sometimes it's divisions in the church. Sometimes our best friends are now our enemies. Sometimes it's our children, children in rebellion or the loss of a child. Sometimes it's our fears. Well, there's someone limping in this story. Jacob. And he is blessed to have this limp. He is blessed beyond measure. He would not go back to his life before this limp because in this limp, with this limp, he's learned that he wrestled with God, but really God was wrestling with him and teaching him to limp in faith. Have you learned to limp in faith? That's the heart of this text. God met with Jacob in his distress. He conquered Jacob and he made him someone who could limp in faith. That's really, truly a victory. It's a crippling victory. And yes, this story has mystery, and it has mystery, and it's perplexing. And we ask questions, who is this man who wrestles with Jacob in the middle of the night? Why is he wrestling with Jacob? This doesn't make any sense. There's no introduction. It's just simply a enter into a wrestling match. Who is this man? Why are they wrestling? Why is it, what's the point of this? Well, hopefully we'll, we'll, we'll answer a lot of those things in the exposition here. In Guatemala, we're going through the book of Genesis, verse by verse. We've been going through Genesis for a few years now, and we've gotten to chapter 32. I'd like to be able to, to give you a brief summary of where we're at in, in Jacob's life so you can understand better the scenario, the setup here, and why we're here at this point. So, in the book of Genesis, we have two main parts. In chapters 1 to 11, there's the history before the flood. And then in, in chapters 12, and, and some after the flood, in chapters 12 to, to the end, really to 50, the focus is on the family that God has chosen. And the promises of the gospel that he gives them and how this family grows to be the, the foundation of the old covenant and the preaching and declaring of the new. The heart and is throughout Genesis is the gospel. And so what we, I repeat in Guatemala is we're studying Genesis, the gospel according to the book of Genesis. And the gospel is, is first preached by God himself in Genesis three as he announces a victory the victory of Christ and Christ's people by the crushing of the Satan. And that hope and that message continues out through the book of Genesis and it grows like a seed and it grows in more and more and more as the story goes on. As we get to Genesis 12, this story of a seed that's growing in a gospel tree more and more comes to a family. It comes to a pagan named Abram. And God manifests and reveals this 
this gospel promise in even more light in a, in a covenant, in a covenant with Abraham. And it has three key aspects to it. Land and a seed and a blessing. That land and seed and blessing. In the New Testament, we see that that seed has grown to be a great tree. And so with Abraham and Isaac and then into Jacob, God repeats this gospel promise, the gospel according to Genesis, with land and seed and blessing, with a sign of a circumcision. And he does that, and it sets up a foundation of the old covenant with Israel. And it declares Jesus is coming to fulfill all of those aspects in greater ways. In the old covenant with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and then the people of Israel, he gives them a land, the physical land. He gives them a nation, a physical people. And he gives them a blessing. The blessing of Christ preached, but also blessings, physical blessings at the time. If they were to live in accordance with the, 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 the covenant. And so that set the foundation for Israel. A standard for them living in the land. And blessings or cursings. It gives them a, a people and a country. And it gives them a physical land. But in the New Testament, we see that all of these things are preached and declare Christ. That the land is not a physical land over there in the, in the Middle East, but it's rather the new heavens and the new earth that is promised. The seed is not those who have the physical um, flesh of Abraham, but those who have the faith of Abraham. The blessing is not the, the blessings of obedience to the old covenant, but the blessings of justification, sanctification in Jesus Christ. The blessing of Christ himself. The blessing of Christ himself. And so, in Genesis, when we get to Jacob, Jacob comes into this family, into this, story, this family that has received this gospel blessing in the form of a covenant. The foundation of an old covenant and the declaring that a new is coming. And we first find Jacob in chapter 25 in verse 23. And it's where we read, and the Lord said to her, saying to Rebekah, two nations are in your womb. Two peoples shall be separated from your body. One people shall be stronger than the other, and the older shall serve the younger. We find that before Jacob is born, a prophecy is given that he is going to be one of the elect, but God will pass over and give a just judgment to Esau in passing him over. And so in this same chapter, we see that Jacob grows up the twins, Esau and Jacob, they grow up to be very different. They came out looking different. They live different lives. One Esau is out in the country working as a hunter. Jacob is one who works inside, cooking. And Jacob deceives his brother and swindles his brother out of the birthright. So when we first meet Jacob, he's a swindler. Someone who doesn't wait for God's promise that God gave in chapter 25, but someone who tries to, to steal it by his own methods. In chapter 27, that continues in the well-known story where Jacob deceives his father. And he dresses like his, his brother. And he again moves to try and steal the blessing of God and not wait for him to receive, it by, to receive it by grace, or to hope, or to have trust in the Lord, but instead he swindles, deceives, lives, lies. And in, chapter, in verse 32 of chapter 27, Isaac, his father, asked him, who are you? And so he said, I am your son, your firstborn, Esau. So J Jacob has to flee for his life. His brother vows to kill him. 
and he flees by instruction of his, his parents and he receives the, the Abrahamic blessing. This deceiver, this liar, this trickster goes off fleeing and in chapter 28, he has a dream as he sleeps on the way to, um, on the way to Paran. And in that dream, in that vision, he is, um, he's told that um, he's given the Abrahamic covenant in verses 13 to 15. Let's read that. He, he sees a vision in verse 12. And, and then he dreamed, and behold, a ladder was set up on the earth, and his top reached to heaven. And there the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac, the land on which you lie, I will give to you and your descendants. Also, your descendants shall be as the dust of the earth. You shall spread abroad to the west and the east, to the north and the south, and in you, in your seed, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have spoken to you. Jacob is no better than Esau. Jacob is no better than Esau. They both deserve the judgment of God. But God in his grace decides to give the gospel here to Jacob. To save Jacob. To change him. Jacob responds with a fearful worship, a memorial, and a vow. And we can see in this gospel preaching, we can see the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, gives the promise of a land, a seed, and a blessing in verses 13 and 15. And we remember in the gospel in Jesus Christ, he promises a new heavens, a new earth, that we would be part of a people, followers, those who have the faith of Abraham, and blessed in Jesus Christ. Well, Jacob followed, um, began to follow the Lord, but his life was still full of many struggles. And Jacob had to learn hard lessons. And he goes and lives with his uncle. And the swindler, the liar, is deceived when he meets his match in his uncle Laban. And he's deceived and swindled. But throughout the stories in chapter 29 and 30, despite him being deceived, the Lord still gives Jacob the blessing of children. And in chapter 20, 30, verses 25 to 43, he gives him blessing with animals, in the form of animals and, and finances. And in chapter 31, he brings him safely to the land. And so the Lord shows himself to be faithful to these prom, the, the Abrahamic covenant in giving him land, seed, and blessing in the following stories. Many not, have under, not understood why the stories are, are, why these particular stories about sheep spotted and speckled, why the, all the stories of meeting the wives and all the children, and what a disaster. This is not a model family. This is certainly not marriage conference material or how to be a faithful parent. And so we see the unfaithfulness of Jacob in many of these stories. And we think that's not a, a good example of how to be a, living as a godly Christian, but we're supposed to see the faithfulness of God as promises in the gospel and land, seed, blessing in the life of Jacob, despite Jacob's unfaithfulness. And so we arrive at 32. In the midst of all this danger to come back to the land, he comes to the land. He's arrived safely to the land, and it's been by God's mercy. His uncle was ready to kill him, but God revealed in a dream to his uncle not to touch him. And it was part of the Abrahamic blessing. The gospel declared in the Old Testament. And so when we get to 32, Jacob gets ready and he's said goodbye to his uncle and they've made a vow, a pact, they're not gonna, they're not gonna see each other again. Jacob's not gonna go back there, he's not gonna go back here. They're not gonna try and kill each other. They're gonna leave peacefully. But then as soon as Jacob says goodbye to his uncle, now he's got to think about another more violent encounter with his brother. In chapter 32, the Lord 
sends another symbol of his kindness and grace in verse one, that the angels of God met him. So Jacob went on his way and the angels of God met him. In verses three to eight, Jacob begins to make plans, send messengers to try and meet up with Esau. But instead, the messengers come back with no message from Esau, but instead Esau is coming with 400 men. 400 men, which is the size of a militia or an army at this time. So Jacob sends a text. He gets ghost, and instead, what's coming is an army. It's like instead, the police have been sent or something like that. This is not a welcome, the welcome wagon. And so Jacob responds in verses nine to 12. And he prays. Then Jacob said, O God of my father Abraham and God of my father Isaac, the Lord who said to me, return to your country and to your family and I will deal well with you. I am not worthy of the least of all the mercies of, and all, of all the truth which you have shown your servant. For I crossed over this Jordan with my staff and now have come, become two companies. Deliver me, I pray, from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau. For I fear him, lest he come and attack me and the mother with the children. For I said to you, I will surely treat you. For you, uh, for you said... I will surely treat you well and make your descendants as the sand of the sea which cannot be numbered for multitude. Jacob prays here and cries out to the Lord. And he gives us a, a good lesson on how to pray. Look at how he begins. He says, God. He, he lifts his eyes towards who, God and remembers who God is. God of my father Abraham. God of my father Isaac. He's remembering the God of the promises of the gospel. And he said that you, you told me to, to come to this place. I'm obeying you. And look, in obedience, I'm gonna die. And all my children and my wives. And he admits then he's not worthy. In verse 10. He's not worthy the least of all these mercies. You see, that's the way to pray. We focus on God first. We remember his word and his commandments. We consider if we're, we're obeying them. We begin to confess. There's been many times we've not obeyed them and we don't deserve any blessing. And look at what he, he speaks of, the mercies and all the truth that you've showed me. And then he goes back to the prayer request. And he gives the prayer request in the appropriate context of who God is, what God has commanded, who Jacob is, in remembering the promises of the gospel. And he begins to cry out. And then he returns to the promises again in verse 12. That's a good way to pray. But despite all that good way to pray, good um, prayer, and Jacob does the rest of his plans in verse 13 to 21. Still, we come to the, the end here where Jacob wrestled with God, but God really wrestled with Jacob. So we've caught up on the story. Now in this morning, let's begin the sermon for real. <laughs> we have four parts of this story. It's been passed out in an outline. We have the preparation in verses 22 to 23. We have the wrestling match in verses 25 to 24 to 25. We have the conversation that gives light in verses 26 to 29. And we have the results, the truly beautiful results in verses 30 to 32. Well, in this, in this story, in verses 22 to 23, Jacob has come a long way to get here. Jacob's come a long way to get here and God is the one who's brought him along. But in verses 22 to 23, there's a little more preparation that God needs to do. God needs to to have him be alone. In verse 22, he arose at night and took his two wives. He rose at night, he couldn't sleep. He was thinking about how this could be the end of his life, end of his family, hoping and praying in God's promises. And so he begins to make more plans. 
And he takes his wives, his two female servants, also uh, wives, and his 11 sons, and he crossed over the ford of Jabbok. Jabbok is, is, means like a blue river. And he does this in, in night, which can be a little dangerous. And he's trying to make a barrier, a defense position, that maybe more people will survive if we're on the other side of this brook and river. And so this is an important point. And the important point is he's got to be alone. He's got to be alone. The Lord is sovereign over this. And, he, and um, God prepares Jacob before meeting Esau by being alone. Pink says, Arthur W. Pink says at this point, to be left alone with God is the only true way of arriving at a just knowledge of ourselves and our ways. No matter what we may think of ourselves, nor yet what man may think of us, the greatest question is, what does God think of us? What does God think of us? Well, that's the preparation in 22 to 23. Now the wrestling match. We read, then Jacob was left alone in verse 24. And a man wrestled with him until the breaking of day. Moses tells his story in, in a surprising way. He doesn't introduce the man. He doesn't describe why this man begins to wrestle. He doesn't say how the wrestling match begins. So we don't know. We don't have the who. We don't have the how. We don't have the why. It's just suddenly a wrestling match is introduced. And it's as if Moses tells the story is as in a surprising way when we read it as it happened to Jacob. That he's there praying at the middle of the night and then suddenly in a wrestling match with someone he doesn't know who, he, who he's wrestling with. That man takes the initiative. Look, the man wrestled with him. The man wrestled with him and they wrestled until the breaking of day. I've never been a wrestler, um, but I've known, I've known some. They say in wrestling matches, six minutes is six to eight minutes is a long match and very exhausting. I've heard James Boyce said that he wrestled and, and played football in, in high school and it was no question that wrestling was more exhausting. That he could wrestle for six minutes, it was more exhausting than if he played a whole football game. Wrestling is an exhausting activity. And they wrestle until the breaking of day. Hughes says that this is kind of like a metaphor for Jacob's life. Jacob constantly relying on his own strength. Jacob constantly trying to manipulate, find his own way, rely upon himself. And the Lord is the one taking the initiative to teach him that he can't do that. Well, who is this man? Who's the man? Let's answer that question here. Moses doesn't answer it right away, but I'm going to answer it right away with some help of the context. If we go over, if we look at the context, in, in um, chapters 12 to 25, we've already seen the Lord appearing multiple times to the patriarchs. Jesus Christ, in a Christophany, in a theophany, reveals himself in the form, in the appearance of a man. When, in chapter 18, when um, God comes and with two angels, and they, they all three take the form of a man or appearance of a man, and it, it's revealed in the text that one of them is really God, is really God. And they begin to tell about the judgment of Sodom and Gomorrah. This happens in Judges. When um, in Judges 6 and 13, this happens with Joshua in chapter 5. And here it happens. And we can see this in verse 30. Jacob says, I have seen God face to face and my life is preserved. Hosea also tells us of this in chapter 12 in Hosea. Hosea 12. Speaking of Jacob says in, in verses two to four, the Lord also brings a charge against Judah and I will punish Jacob according to his ways. According to his deeds, he will recompense him. He took his brother by the heel in the womb. 
in Hosea chapter 12, verse 3, it says of Jacob that he took his, um, struggled with God. In, in his strength, he struggled with God. Yes, he struggled with the angel and prevailed. He wept and sought favor from him. He found him in Bethel. And there he spoke to us. That is the Lord God of hosts. The Lord is his memorable name. So here it's described that Jacob wrestled with an angel. This is the angel of Yahweh. A pre-incarnate appearance of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we return back to Genesis 32. When in Genesis 32, verse 24, when it says Jacob was left alone and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of day. This is God wrestling with Jacob. This is God taking the initiative to confront and wrestle Jacob. And this leads, this wrestling leads to two winners. This is, this is unusual in a wrestling match to come out with two winners. But in this story, there truly are two winners. And so they wrestle to the, into the breaking of day. This is God humbling himself. It's kind of like when a father wrestles with his children. And they are on top of the father, all the wrestling match. And at the very end, the father lets him know, lets his sons know who's really been in charge the whole time. And that's a humbling, loving thing to do. And so it is here. Why does Jacob wrestle all night? He's learning a lesson. In the midst of the wrestling, Jacob, in, in the night, it occurs to Jacob that something supernatural is going on. This is not Esau. This is not someone sent by Esau. This is not simply a thief in the night. He's wrestling with someone who's supernatural. We see that in how he responds. We see that in how he responds. And what happens in the, in the end of the wrestling match. Simply in verse 25, when it says, when he, did, when he saw, when the, the man, the God man, saw that he did not prevail against him, he touched the hip of his socket, and the socket of Jacob's hip was out of joint as he wrestled with him. So any good wrestler knows uh, this muscle is your, your strongest muscle, right? On your side, here. And if suddenly you lose that, you lost everything. You have no hope. You have no hope of winning. All that he continues to do is to hang on. To hang on for dear life. In verses 24 to 25, that's the summary we have of the wrestling match. Jacob is ending here physically defeated. Now in verses 26 to 29, the conversation that gives light. The conversation. We read in verse 26. And he said, let me go for the day breaks. The Lord is the one who's speaking. He's speaking to Jacob. Jacob's holding on. But like Hosea says, how he's crying, weeping. He's no longer holding on in wrestling in his own strength. He's only holding on in desperation. He's got no other hope. He has no hope in himself, in his own strength. In his own plans. His plans have failed with, with Esau. His plans have failed with Laban. His deceiving or manipulating. His physical strength. He was strong. When he meets, when he meets Rachel, he moves a, a rock that normally takes two to three men to move. He was a strong man still at this point. And he can't rely on that. And so we see his desperation in 26. When the Lord tells him to let go, and he says in desperation, but he said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. He's clinging for life, and he's seeking the blessing the right way with a brokenness, with a desperation, with a knowing that he needs grace and grace alone. And that Jacob seeks a blessing knows that this mysterious one is someone greater than him. Someone greater than him in a supernatural revelation. 
That's a principle in the Old Testament, in Genesis, that the greater blesses the letter, lesser. The greater blesses the lesser. So we truly cannot, uh, we truly need to be blessed by God before we can try and obey and serve God. We need to be blessed by the gospel of God. So he seeks this in verse 27. The God man asks him, so he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob, Jah Hakob is my name. This is another, this is another subtle thing here. And you got to understand what, what, what the God man is doing. When the God man asks him, what's your name? It's like saying, who are you? What kind of person are you? The way Ferguson says is it's kind of like um, in, Luke, in Luke 18, when there's the Pharisee and the tax collector and they're both praying. And the way the tax collector prays is God, be, show me propitiation. Be merciful to me. And how does he describe himself? The sinner. And so when the God man asks him, what's your name? And he says, Jah Jacob. He's saying, I'm a liar. I'm a deceiver. I'm someone with a guilty past. I'm someone who does not deserve the grace of God. I'm someone who deserves where I'm at now. With my brother trying to kill me. Coming with an army. It's like the sinner saying, God be merciful to me, the sinner. Jacob has checked and see, to see if he can present any righteousness, anything that he could present before God. And when he respond, replies with his name, he's, he's confessing who he is before God. In 28, he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you've struggled with God and with men and have prevailed. The God man, this is the work of a king to give a new name. The work of a king to give him a new name where he's no longer the heel grabber, the, the deceiver. The, now he's one who is struggles and he struggles contended with God and he's lost by, and he's won by losing. He's won by losing. He's given a victory, but not by his own strength. It's truly that God rules over Jacob. So when you see the name Israel, you see that it really means winning by losing. It really means winning by, by being broken and admitting that God is the only one who is the source of strength. And so in verse 29, Jacob says, tell me your name, I pray. And the God man, he said, why is it that you ask about my name? And he blessed him there. Jacob begins to ask his name. Deep down, um, John Curd says in his commentary, he thinks that Jacob really knows who he's dealing with. That this is a God man like Abraham, his grandfather, Saul. And that's why he asks his name. And he's asking for a revelation of Grace. Remember your name expressing who you are. And how does the God man reply? He replies to the question with a question. Even that sounds like Jesus. <laughs> when someone asks their inappropriate question, Jesus asks a question back. In order to instruct, that's not the right question. <laughs> and so here, even as I, as I read verse 29, I think that sounds like Jesus. <laughs> But it, we read, and he blessed him there. Perhaps this includes the Abrahamic covenant, repeated again. Perhaps this includes his new name, Israel, and that his name has been changed. Or maybe it's both, that really he's Israel by the grace of the Abrahamic covenant. That's what I think, as really both. And that's really the answer to who, what his name is. You see? How is it, what's the point of the Abrahamic covenant? See, yes, it sets the foundation of the old, but it really declares Jesus Christ. 
It declares that there's a new heavens and a new earth in Jesus. It declares that there's a, a, a people in Jesus that have the faith of Abraham in Jesus and that they're the ones who are truly blessed by a salvation in Jesus. That's truly the meaning of the Abrahamic covenant, the, the true blessing. And he learns this once again by re, in receiving the name Israel, that he receives this by grace, not by his own strength. So this is, now we've seen the preparation. We've seen the wrestling match. We've seen the conversation. Now the results in verses 30 to 32. Really Moses now here takes us by the hand and he describes to us in verse 30. So Jacob called the name of the place, Beniel, for I've seen God face to face and my life is preserved. So in the results, in the summary, Jacob says, this place needs a name change in order to forever remember the greatness of this moment that God has manifested himself here in an amazing way, the God man. And I've seen him face to face and have not died. Jacob is saying, how sweet and awful is the place where I meet God. How sweet in this revelation of, in giving of grace, how awful that I'm a sinner in God's presence. And Jacob knows he survived this encounter only by God's grace because no one can see God and live. In verse 30, Moses tells us that he crossed over the river, Penuel, and it's very beautiful picture. The sun is rising like the picture of a new beginning. Finally, Jacob is ready, or should we say Israel is ready to enter the promised land. And he's, read, and he's learned that he can only enter in by grace. He had to be broken before he could enter into the promised land. And he walks in limping on his hip. We can see that this was no dream. This was no illusion. But he has to enter in with a crippled victory. Not by physical strength, but in spiritual strength. Learning that when he's weak, then he's strong. And Moses tells us in verse 32, all this, all this was remembered until Moses, in, during Moses' day. And it was remembered in what the Israel would eat and what we did not eat. And all of that says, this is important. This is important. Just like Thanksgiving, we eat a turkey, we eat some um, great American food, like I'm enjoying this week. And we remember the history of giving thanks to God. And we give thanks to God. In the same way Israel remembered through their food the importance of this event. That truly Jacob wrestled with God, but God was the one who wrestled with Jacob. So we've seen this story, and I hope some of the mystery has been taken away as we've seen God's preparation, the wrestling match, the conversation, the results. Now let's apply this. Let's apply this in different ways. The different points you can consider that can be applied to our lives. Let's begin, let's begin with the perseverance in prayer. Let's begin with perseverance in prayer. It's been said that who you are alone before God in prayer is a true indication before who you really are. If you don't pray, that's an indication of who you are. How you speak to God when no one's watching. The time you spend with him. The desperation, the brokenness, the remembering who he is, what he's commanded, who we are and what we deserve, what his promises are. That kind of communion with God really reveals who you are. And God in this, um, in this story, Jacob wrestling all night is, is not the example to follow. He had to be broken. That's the example to follow. So in other words, you don't win by, um, by saying, I'm going to pray like Jacob all night. 
in order to get what I want. That's not how we're, we're, what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to come to the point of brokenness in prayer. Yes, we persevere in prayer. And yes, we can't learn that in five minutes of praying. But truly, the point here is when we learn to pray, clinging with no hope, like Hosea describes Jacob, crying out and weeping, holding on, not because he has any strength, but because he has lost all strength. That's really what prayer should be. And that's really why prayer should persevere. We should persevere in prayer. God has planned this in the preparation that he would be alone with Jacob. Will you be alone with God and learn this lesson? That's connected with the repentance. Is another application? That we would pray with repentance. What's your name? What's your name? If God asks you, what's your name? What's the appropriate response? Liar? Deceiver? Immoral? Coward? Arrogant? Rebel? Lazy? Angry? Bitter? Unbelieving? Have you been broken by the touch of God? Have you cried out, bless me in my brokenness? You can end the wrestling match with two, with, the wrestling match can end with two victorious persons. God, the work he's done in you, and you by learning that lesson. God will not allow the independent, self-sufficient, proud person to enter into the promised land. He is kind and gracious to make us be alone with him, to give us trials, suffering, crisis, so that we would learn to not be independent, but dependent upon him. We would not be self-sufficient, but, but be, find sufficiency in his riches and grace. We would not be a proud people, but a broken people and a happy people entering into the promised land. So when you have had times of suffering in finances, marriage, health, sickness, age, divisions in church, your best friends are now your worst enemies, suffer with rebellious children or the loss of family members have gone on and died, or perhaps your own fears. Have you been touched have you let God, have you, has God broken your hip? And have you seen what's the purpose of that? So that you would cling to him? That goes to our next application. Limping in faith. Limping in faith. Truly all connected, all these applications. This story ends with Jacob limping. And you come up to Jacob years later, maybe in Egypt, how did you get that limp? Jacob, what did you learn? And he tells about how not I wrestled with God, but that God wrestled with me. And he taught me to limp by faith. Pink says, Jacob wrestled. The man wrestled with Jacob. The God man wrestled with Jacob to reduce Jacob sense of nothingness to cause him to see what a poor, helpless, and worthless creature he was. It was to teach us that through Christ, the all-important lesson, to recognize that weakness lies in our strength, in our weakness. We truly learn to be strong, to depend upon the Lord. The Lord is teaching us to be aware of our weakness, rely on him for our own soul, to deny ourselves, to sell all for Christ and follow him. The same lessons we learned back in our conversion. We're learning once again here. Back when Jacob was on the road to, to his uncle and he had absolutely nothing and the Lord gives him the gospel in a, in a dream. He's learning the same lesson. 
to be a, to recognize our own sinfulness, weakness, to rely on Christ alone for our soul, to deny ourselves, take up our cross and sell all for him and to follow him daily, no matter the cost. Those things sound beautiful in the beginning, right? Then after some hard times, they're still beautiful. They're still beautiful. But you see the weight of them. You can see the weight of them. Jacob sees that now as he limps in faith. This wrestling was to break Jacob's self-reliant attitude. It's not by his skill or his craftiness. Limping. It's embarrassing. But it's a crippling victory. It's a victory. And only by victory, only by this weakness, he becomes Israel. And so God must humble us before he can use us. God humbles us in his grace. And we praise him. We're prone to use every means but dependence and brokenness on God. Don't we often say that? I've done everything. The last I can do is pray. The least I can do is pray. The last thing I can do is pray. And doesn't it feel helpless at times? But it's not. It's not. It's the greatest thing we can do. To pray in broken repentance. And so this limping saint, one who limps by faith, that's the walk of a saint. That's the walk of a saint where God has been gracious to us. Truly our problem is not the self or our lack of self-esteem, but really our need to glorify God and enjoy him forever by depending upon him. Rejecting all manipulation or self-strength. In the, um, children, children, there's a story for those who are kids um, told in the Chronicles of Narnia, in the Dawn Treader. There's a boy named Eustace. That boy, he's a very mean guy. He steals, he hates everybody, he's selfish, he thinks everything's for himself. And because he's selfish, in the story, he ends up turning into a dragon because he's trying to steal for himself and get things for himself. In the story, Aslan comes, representing Jesus. And he says to Eustace, go ahead and try and wash off your scales, your dragon scales. And Eustace washes and peels off the scales, only to find more scales on underneath. And he does it again and again and again. What happens in the end? How does the scales, how do they really come off? How does the dragon Eustace change into the boy Eustace again? Aslan has to come and cut it off with his claws. And so we learn that God, God does the same thing to Jacob. And God does the same thing to us. He does it in conversion truly. Where he takes the old man and puts on a new man. But then he also uses times of crisis to do the same thing. We've seen in the applications, the persevering in prayer, repentance and limping in faith. What about the presence of God? How can we do all this? How can we do all this? How can you limp in faith? Because the same God man who came and taught Jacob this lesson is the same God man who truly took on flesh. Not in appearance, but in actuality. And he lived a righteous life. He lived a righteous life. And in his suffering before the cross in Gethsemane, he cried out in tears and sweating blood. And that was part of his righteous life. Jacob was not saved by the righteousness of his prayers. He was saved by the righteousness of Christ's prayers. He was saved by the righteousness of Christ's death on the cross. And when Jacob asks, what's your name? God responds in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. My name is Jesus. 
because he saves his people from his sins. And he sanctifies his people through suffering and crisis. And we say his name is Jesus and he's worthy to be followed. So here once again, church, see your own sin. Look to your savior. He's the one who can help you persevere to the end. Deny yourself. Sell everything and follow him. And take up your cross and follow him to the end. Have you seen God face to face in the gospel in the Lord Jesus Christ? And has he taught you your weakness and called you Israel? Let's apply that sermon in these ways. Let's pray. Lord God in heaven, we pray by your spirit, please apply your word to our lives. Lord, we don't want this just to be a story that we've heard many times before. We want this to be truth that changes our lives. Lord, teach us to pray. Teach us to persevere in broken prayer. Remembering who you are, your promises, your commandments, who we are. And we would give our requests in that light. Lord, we pray, please help us to pray in repentance and live a life of repentance. Help us to turn from the sins and help us to see the sins in our lives and turn from them and to follow you in obedience. Lord, we pray, please, by your grace, help us to limp in faith. And that when someone asks about the limp, emotional or physical, we would glorify you and not speak of the pain or the limp, but rather in your good purposes behind them. Thank you for bringing Jacob to the point of limping. Thank you for teaching us to limp in faith. Please teach us more. Lord, we pray, help us to see you face to face. We ask, what is your name? And we rejoice that we're not saved by the perseverance or strength of our own prayers or our own faith, but rather by the greatness of Christ's life and death and resurrection. So we worship you. Christ, please be exalted in this time, in this worship service, in this time of prayer, in application. Hello and thanks for listening. My name is Mark Brashear and I have the blessed privilege of serving with the Saints at Cornerstone Church near Orlando, Florida. We're so grateful that you've connected with us through the sermon that you've just heard. For more information, visit us at cornerstoneorlando.org. Or better yet, come and see us on the Lord's Day at 3370 Snow Hill Road in Oviedo, Florida. We're just east of Orlando and about 15 minutes from the campus at UCF. It would be a joy to have you worship with us.